and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink the magic of D&D and how it might shape your campaign setting in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. My name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor. Benjamin, I, I, I went into the notes this week and something's different, man. Yes, something is different. Something's today, different. You know, we're not talking about a spell here. We're not talking about a spell today. I have been very purposeful in the way I've framed <laughs> framed this podcast to say that we are talking about the magic of D&D, not the mm-hmm. spells of D&D. Now, a lot of the times the magic of D&D is the spells of D&D, but there's a lot of other magic in D&D. Sometimes something comes along and every and so often every something so- comes along and it changes everything and that's what we're talking about today we are talking about a magical monster that's existence would have a much wider impact i think on campaign settings than is typically ever considered so we're, we're talking about rust monsters here we are talking about the the humble but noble rust monster looks like a big flea yeah, it does. So it's just like a termite or something. Flea. It's just a big kind of gross bug. The kind of thing that if it were very small, you'd be upset to find it like in a cabinet. I, I got to say, I I like how goofy they kind of look, though. Me too. I, I like really love it. Like if it were a regular monster, I'm not even sure I would have picked it. It's kind of doofusy. It's just like, hey, hey, everyone. I'm excited yeah. to be here. I'm excited to eat your sword. Well, yeah. So, I mean, sort of the mythology behind the existence of the Rust Monster is that I think it was Gary Gygax. You know, like in the 80s at dollar stores and stuff, you could buy like a bag of plastic dinosaurs Mm -hmm. or plastic Mm -hmm. monsters or whatever. So the mythology behind this is that he went to his store and found like this bag of monsters. Like there's no lore associated with them. There wasn't a description of what these monsters were. It was just kind of different things in a bag. And one looked pretty much like the rust monster we know and love today and he just basically created stats for all of them one of them was the owlbear yeah one of them just looked like a big bug and (laughs) and when he put it into his game he decided that it you know rusted metal and ate the rust That's, that's fine history of the rust monster aside when we're looking at it in 5e you know we're not really thinking about what's come before and there are a lot of cool ideas from various writers in the in D&D's history about the ecology of rust monsters. I think that's actually the name of the article. We're looking purely at it from the context. And one of the things that surprised me the most when I started looking at the monster manual entry for the rust monster is that right there explicitly, I think it's the final line of the entry. It says, if they are well-treated and well-fed, they can also become friendly companions or pets. Well, there it is. I don't think there's any other entry in the monster manual where there's a monster that says, if you like, don't attack this thing and you feed it, it's going to work for you. It's going to be your buddy. <laughs> I didn't know this about the rust monster. First of all, mm-hmm. I was surprised to see this when I looked it up, but also I've never just heard of this coming up in game. Is, is it something you've heard of before when you were running or playing? I've I've been I played a game once where somebody fed their sword to a rust monster purposefully to bring it on their side. Yeah, I, I think he must have read the description and then the DM just kind of rolled with it. So he had a pet rust monster for a little while. I think it it 
ended up perishing in some unhappy circumstance. But yeah, that's the only game I've ever encountered a Rust monster. And this is this is how it came to pass. But I love the idea of having a little rusty friend. And I love the phrase perishing in some unhappy circumstance. That's uh, such a soft way to put died. I'm a big softy, Benjamin. (laughs) What can I say? Anyway, there's a couple other details about the rust monster that are going to be important for the conversation as we move forward. So, Dane, could you give us some of those details? Yeah, well, they have a trait, Iron Scent, that allows rust monsters to pinpoint by scent the location of ferrous metals within 30 feet of them. So they're, they're kind of metal detectors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite literally metal detectors, mm-hmm. yeah. If you gave them a little flavor that they beep, then that, that could be fun. They also have the rust metal trait and the antennae action, which allow it to destroy metal objects it comes into contact with. That's how it generates the rust that it eats. The antennae is one foot cube at a time. The trait just generally applies to any size non-magical weapon. They have an AC of 14, 27 hit points, 40 feet walking speed, a little faster than your average humanoid. They are a medium size and they have a half of a challenge rating. I thought it was important to talk about the walking speed and the size, just because something we'll get into later. But the first thing I want to do is jump back to extrapolate on the rust metal and antenna action a little bit. So the rust metal trait is when it gets hit by a weapon attack. So rust monsters not only rust metal when they actively attempt to, but also just kind of defensively. Mm-hmm. That's so. I just want to clarify, like a porcupine's quills, it it just right. does it. I think really, you know, most of this conversation hinges around that line in the monster manual. Mm-hmm. If they're well treated and well fed, they can also become friendly companions or pets. Because to me, you know, I went in thinking like, oh, there's probably some fun stuff about just ruining metal that would that we could play with. But when I read that, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> if that's the case, would there be whole societies that would domesticate rust monsters specifically? Specifically, like I'm thinking wood elves and fur bogs of the forest that don't use metal. Yeah, exactly. Nature loving peoples, societies that aren't interested in metallurgy or in mining who might have a lot of natural enemies that are interested in that. It's their natural defense. They just have a line of rust monsters to really take the edge off, as it were. Exactly. And then, you know, their minds, they just any any kind of territory or mine in their territory is just like a cafeteria for yeah. rust monsters. <laughs> right. And rust monsters could be used for mining in other c- circumstances if you're n- not letting them eat the vein. But for, for these groups of people, they're, they're specifically mining to feed their pets. Right. I mean, and in wartime, they don't need to mine to do that because they can just let them feast on their enemies' weapons and armor. Well, that invites an interesting question. Maybe wood elves and furbolgs in a particular setting become reliant on war. They are typically very peaceful people, but I could see that maybe the more aggressive of the society is like, hey, we love these creatures. They've served us well, and they're expanding our we're starting to get an empire. Now, I know furbolgs are naturally peace loving people, right? But not every person is the same. And that's like a generality. 
generality. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes me think of the expression, when all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. Right. When all you have is a rust monster. Every war is a feast. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess that's how you would translate it. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's a really interesting point. And I also do kind of love the idea of marauding furbolgs who don't totally jive with the rest yeah yeah and yeah yeah like who basically are just taking on themselves to just go through like kingdoms and other like warring tribes nearby right and well and then if you want to go more traditional fantasy tropes then of course you know your orcs your your gnolls would have like a stable of of these creatures on hand um, well, yeah, but orcs and gnolls use ferrous well, weapons. Well, so. I, I'm I'm just saying that they they use they use these things. They train these things to right. go after the enemy rather right. than their own thing. They they don't have whole herds of them. They have like three or four. Right. You know. Specifically, I think the it's also important to point out that druids are proficient in certain armor types, but can't are restricted from wearing metal. So rust monsters are explicitly something that really makes sense for societies that are led by druids or where there's kind of a lot of druids in the society. Can have an animal companion. So why not have a rust monster as your, I mean, it's a monstrosity, right? Yes, it's a monstrosity. You're not technically allowed to have it, but that's still fun. It is fun. fun. It is fun. And to some extent, I think with the rust monster, you're trading. I mean, the damage output of a rust monster, I think, is pretty bad compared to like other companions that a a ranger could have. A rust monster, if it's just straight up attacking, deals five piercing damage. Oh, wow. That's that's first level. Yeah, like it's not good. (laughs) So, I mean, like basically you'd be swapping out the normal kind of creatures you can have for this creature that deals less damage probably than any other creature you'd pick but has this kind of fun effect when you're fighting creatures who are armed and armored with metal you hear that dms come on hey just let them do it dms come on we talked about them being kind of you know used for mining hunting out veins but they would be pretty good hunting for treasure so if you've got a treasure hunter character then they might have one of these as a pet too both to go into uh dungeons they could it could help get through doors you know it's eating the hinges right off of things it's sniffing down finding treasure and then i i brought up earlier in our conversation off mic that if you (laughs) cast breathe water on one of these things then you could be going underwater with them they could be swimming around yeah i mean finding that good ship treasure exactly we probably would have found the titanic a lot sooner if rust monsters had existed in the real world because we could have just cast water breathing on them dropped them in the ocean and as soon as they started to get antsy we'd know we were close yeah instead of a drug sniffing dog we've got right right a ferrous metal sniffing giant bug (laughs) one to one (laughs) yeah we, so we talked about how these things might be domesticated in certain societies. And, you know, the examples that we discussed were wood elves and fur bulks. But I think the fact that it's a medium creature and has a 40 foot walking speed really makes me think, oh, small creatures 
would really like to have really like to use rust monsters probably as mounts it's probably not as easy to ride a rust monster as a horse like its body is shaped kind of weird but i don't think it would be impossible like i mean it's still it's still a quadruped is that what you call a thing on four legs do they only have four legs oh they only have four legs for a big bug i'd imagine they'd have more legs that's true and and if rust monsters are as or rather more prevalent than uh general settings suggest then there's probably a rust monster saddle that is right. known that is right. that is prevalent that leather workers will be like oh yeah i can do that and i'm I'll put all brass fittings on it for you. So <laughs> it doesn't right. get add up. I bring that up, not because I have a whole lot else to say about the idea of mm-hmm. like using rust monsters as a mount so much as the it's, fact that I just love fun. the idea of it. Like halflings yeah. and I mean, what forest gnomes, I think, you know, forest gnomes would make perfect sense to, to be people who ride rust monsters. And I just love the idea so much. Like I really, I think I want uh russ monster knight to be my oh, next yeah. character like it's just such a fun idea just an all brass armor just gleaming well and thinking about gnomes and tinkerers in general you get mm-hmm. that you get the steampunk vibe and iron is used in steampunk but a lot more times it's different alloys that that are non-ferrous so you know you could see that working for a steampunk character as well oh man benjamin what if a rust monster got loose in the plane where the oh what are they called the one-eyed guys with the little wings Mo- monotons mono mm. oh mo- modrons modrons the plane of modrons what's how that? are you calling them the one-eyed guys with wings that it, it's what if what if rust monsters got in there they'd really tear things up i can't you know all i can think of is the tagline for the plane which is the clockwork nirvana or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. which mechanus it's called yeah. mechanus yeah mechanus yeah i mean that would i imagine that mechanus since rust monsters are half cr creatures i imagine that mechanus could mount a defense against rust monsters fairly easily Hmm. but definitely for as long as they existed they would really mess up that they would cause a lot of problems that day that day oh bad day for mechanist bad day for mechanist (laughs) i think mechanist is like the what is like the plane of like true law or something yeah you can imagine that one bad day just really it's a single probably probably go in the history books a, a single grain of sand in the microchip of Mechanus. Right, right. Oh boy. Hey everybody, Dane here, just wanting to say thank you for all the support you've given us through your downloads, your messages, tweets, and of course sharing the show with others. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow, along with you rating and reviewing Dispel Magic on whatever podcasting app you use. Benjamin and I would also like to invite you to pledge to our Patreon. You can vote there on future shows, receive weekly show notes, access monthly secret shows, and gain access to our patron-only Discord channel. Thanks again for listening, and as always, happy spelling. That does make me think that a more common and maybe more gameable situation where Rust Monsters might be used 
is that, you know, in, in another episode, we talk about teleportation circles. Mm. If you happen to know the teleportation circles of a major city, especially if somehow someone was stupid enough to put a teleportation circle in the city's armory, right? teleporting a bunch of rust monsters in there basically means that they're without arms and armor, allowing for a pretty easy invasion. Mm-hmm. Or you're casting reduce on them, make them a little smaller so you can smuggle them in. Right. Cast some in, uh, invisibility on them. Yeah, they're, them run they're them medium up. right now. So I guess they'd be like dog size. Yeah. That's, yeah. When I had this idea that you could use, you could kind of just drop them into people's armories. That made me think like, I wonder how old nails are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so nails in our world have been found uh, as far back as 3,400 BC. So that's a long time ago, like 6,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, five, five and a half thousand years ago. So they definitely exist. And the world, oh, like yeah. nails, nails are, are used in construction in D- in the worlds of D&D. Right. And so even if we're not talking about armories, even if we're just talking about cities, it like they can easily like just ruin buildings, just topple. Take it apart. Uh, yeah, cause buildings just fall apart. And nails are, would be commonly used in shipbuilding. So, so if you wanted to, what's the word? Not subterfuge. What's the word I'm thinking about? Sabotage. If you wanted to sabotage uh, a competitor or a business or, you know, somebody who's wronged you, you you'd hire out a couple of <laughs> rust monsters to run them up. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like you, you mentioned earlier, casting reduce on a rust monster to smuggle it aboard a ship and then just leave it there and mm-hmm. you take off and all of a sudden the ship falls apart and sinks. Or if we've got the society where all the nobles, like we talked in our teleportation circle episode, if all these nobles yeah. are making these elaborate dungeons for each other, then right, one of those sabotaging people would send in the rust monsters to take it down. Right. Or, or, down. or even just like, I could see it being this very passive aggressive thing between nobles. Like, <laughs> oh, I sent, I sent that in like as a prank. I'm sorry it ruined like you're the west wing of your estate yeah right real real just like oh oh i'm so sorry that was supposed to be a joke yeah my bad let me know if i can pay for any repairs so i'm so much i'm so much more wealthy than you are yeah there's a lot of (laughs) rust monster as a weapon in aristocratic ranking well the um, yeah, just, yeah it, it, that's a that's a really good D D is yeah yeah now if if you wanted to start a farm of these things you'd need a lot of metal jumping straight to farm jumping straight to farm jumping straight to farm is you know we've talked about a lot of situations where societies might want to domesticate these things they obviously have some use in in war but then there's a lot of reasons why adventurers might want these things. I mean, you can just send a herd into a dungeon to make sure everything's unarmored and unarmed before mm-hmm. you go in. And so that does lead you to this to this idea, like rest monster husbandry does become this thing that suddenly like makes sense. Although the real limiting factor there is that you need enough ferrous metal to feed <laughs> these things. Like 
they have to have ferrous metal because they have to turn to rust. Rust is the thing they eat. They don't eat the ferrous metal. They rust the ferrous metal and then eat the rust. So in order for that to make out economic sense, you're probably going to need to establish your rust monster farm somewhere where there's a planar gate to the elemental plane of Earth. Right, which is super prevalent, right? <laughs> I mean, no, obviously. No. <laughs> but so there's a, like a lot of things you would want to do if you had a stable gate to the elemental plane of Earth. And rust monster farming might not be the very first one. It's down the list a bit, you know, because I mean, diamonds are useful for a lot of spells that you might want to cast. And so you'd probably be doing that. But then there's no reason. I mean, like no one probably goes to the elemental plane of Earth to mine ferrous materials. Yeah, just so, iron. <laughs> yeah, so like iron so, ore. So you might as well let whoever wants to establish a little rust monster farm for the extra it, it also makes me think if you don't have this gate you know we talked about uh, a spell in your book called oscillating chronology where you could you could roll back time so if the rust monster doesn't eat the entire piece of metal then you can roll back time on it and have that piece of metal again right so in oscillating chronology is in the ultimate adventures handbook which might be out by now or it might not oh okay <laughs> um, i hope it's out i hope that you are intimately familiar with the spell because you've read it cover to cover but backwards if, and forwards yeah backwards and forwards it was hard to understand backwards probably Editor's note, the Ultimate Adventurer's Handbook is out now on the Dungeon Master's Guild. You can find it now. Sterling Vermin, go look it up. Thank you. Oscillating chronology lets you kind of speed things up, or, or not speed things up, but reverse or fast forward an object through time. And so in the context of this rust monster farm, it's basically like you get this huge chunk of, of iron and you let your rust monsters nosh down on it so that there's just a little piece of it left and then you can cast oscillating chronology to just revert it back to how it was a big chunk it was like a few hours ago when it was a full chunk of iron a little more and sustainable that way with besides if you don't have a readily available portal to the plane of earth <laughs> yes a little bit more sustainable it, uh, it oscillating chronology actually also is a ritual so you, you can kind of feed your whole rust monster farm with just one block of iron and that spell. It's going to be a repetitive day, but but you could do that. It's just put it on. It's just part of the chores. You know, you wake up at 6 a.m. You you go push, out. You push the giant block of iron push into the, the feeding pit. You milk the rust monsters mm -hmm. and then you cast the ritual. I think the idea of rust monster milk is maybe one of the most disgusting things I can think of. Like that's not, I'm sure it'd be high in iron and <laughs> yeah, probably red so. too. I know that's what's, I think that's, what's freaking me out about it, is that's probably red move over blue milk. Here comes red milk. It's a blue star milk? Wars joke. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, isn't that green though? Nope. Okay. I don't know. I don't care about star blue Wars. Milk. Yep. That's fair. You're a D and D guy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a D&D &D guy. Star Wars, get out of here. Get out of here. D&D &D podcast. Well, Benjamin, I, I have fallen in love with rust monsters. They are my new favorite creature. 
I want them in all of my campaigns forever. There's a lot to love about them. I certainly think after spending a few hours researching them, I not only want to feature them as enemies in my game, but I I want to, I, I just really like the idea of, a, of making a player character that has a relationship with a rust monster. Yeah. That's like a, a companion or a mount or whatever else. It's it's a super fun idea. Well, and we've got the playable race, the three Cree. Why not have a rust monster variant? I actually, when I started the started thinking about this episode, I did tweet uh about how there should be a rust monster player character race and i and it it got some positive feedback so i i could see myself doing that in the near future listeners keep keep a sharp eye out for your rust monster playable race and if you have any ideas or opinions about rust monsters you can of course tweet us at dispel pod on dispel magic pod on twitter benjamin where can people find you on the internet you can find me at Sterling Vermin on the Twitter. You got you got a website too, though, right? I do, which is SterlingVermin.com. There you so go. So you can you can find me anywhere by because I'm also on. There's I also have a subreddit r Sterling what? Vermin. So like anywhere you want to find me, if you just put Sterling Vermin in, right, you're probably going to get to me. Cool, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Dane in Danger. Anywhere you want to find me which is just really there. I guess Instagram too. Dane in danger. That's where you'll find me. But thanks, Benjamin. This was, this was a fun one. It was a fun one. Thank you, Dane. And thanks to you, our listeners. We'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw.